an innocent man condemned. Now, when I'm dealing with such a large topic as the crucifixion of Christ, um, I want you to know that it is going to be impossible for me to explore with you every nook and cranny of this great event. And, and I hope that if anything beyond what is done in the church this morning by way of this message, I hope that it spurs within you uh, a desire to, to go and investigate this further. You know, I think one of the great problems that we run into in preaching on the crucifixion of Christ and what it means is that oftentimes the familiarity that many of us have with the story causes it sometimes to lose some of its luster. We may read over it and because we've read over it so many times and maybe many of you have heard it since you were a child and it just begins to be another story. So I hope this morning as we prepare to study the word and look at this account from Matthew, I hope this morning that it is afresh to us. I hope that this scene of Calvary's Hill would, would uh, be, be very new to us, at least in our heart this morning, that we would be able to receive from God what He has intended for us as we preach the Christ Jesus and Him crucified. Would you pray with me? Father, we are about to study the most central point, really, in, in our faith and the central figure of all the world and recorded time. And I pray this morning, Lord, those of us that may be familiar with this story, Lord, I thank you that we are familiar with it, but I pray that we would look at it with fresh eyes this morning. Lord, that you would remind us once again, down in the core of who we are, the price that you were willing to pay for us, the, the length that you were willing to go to, what you were willing to sacrifice all for us. And Father, I thank you and I praise you for that. And I do pray, Lord, that your will would be accomplished in our heart this morning through the preaching of your word, through the singing of, of praise to you, and through the observance of the Lord's Supper at the conclusion of service. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I was a very young guy. It was probably one of my first messages that I ever preached. And I, I don't even know if anybody could hear me over my knees knocking together. I was so nervous. And, and I clenched the side of the pulpit like that. And, and I remember that I had said something in the service. Um, and my pastor commented on it later. I said in the service something you've probably heard before. That if I was the only person in the world, Jesus still would have come and died for me. Have you heard that before? Have you heard someone say that? I said that in the sermon. And afterwards, my pastor came over to me. And it was, was just so always such a source of encouragement. He said, brother, I want you to know that I absolutely agree with you. That if you were the only person on the earth, Jesus Christ still would have gone to the cross for you. He said, but remember this. If you were the only person on the earth, you would have had to been the one to nail him. And I started to think about that. And you know what? There's a whole lot of truth to that scripture, to that, to that what he had said. I want you to join me. I know this is a lengthy text, but again, I... I I pray that it never becomes too familiar. Matthew 27, verse 15. Jesus is already now standing before Pilate. He has already gone through many of the trials through the night from the religious leaders to King Herod to Pilate, back to Pilate a little later. And it says in verse 15, Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitude one prisoner whom they wished. And at that time, they had a notorious prisoner named Barabbas. Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Who do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that they had handed him over because of envy. And while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him, saying, Have nothing to do with that just man, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. 
But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. Verse 22, Pilate said to them, What shall I do then with Jesus who is called Christ? And they all said to him, Let him be crucified. Then the governor said, Why, what evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could not prevail, but rather an uproar was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just man. You see to it. And all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus to the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And when they had twisted together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Then they spat on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. When they had mocked him and took the robe off him, they put his own clothes on him. And led him away to be crucified. I'm going to stop there. It's a remarkable thing. I think paradox is important for us to remember that this event that was prophesied, was uh, foreshadowed, uh, really took a lot of people by surprise. There were really no people that said, yeah, I see it coming. I, I understand that. And even though Jesus had spoken plainly to them, even though they were familiar with the scriptures, it seems as though this was something they couldn't understand couldn't couldn't believe couldn't see didn't couldn't wrap their minds around and and I want you to notice this first thing this morning what really sets off this thing of a paradox not only like we studied last week was Jesus betrayed by one of his own betrayed by a friend in Judas but this week what we find is that an innocent man was condemned an innocent man was condemned now this is where we kind of get in the weeds a little bit in our theology but I think it's important that we remember uh, as believers, that Jesus never sinned. Jesus was just, holy, perfect. He was truly the spotless Lamb of God. And it had to be that way. It absolutely had to be that way. In order, in the Old Testament, in order for them to offer a sacrifice, even though Hebrews says the blood of bulls and goats was never able to, to save them, was never able to cleanse them, what they did was they had to offer up that sacrifice that was pure. It was perfect. It was without blemish and spot. And that indeed was a foreshadowing of the perfect Lamb of God. Do you remember me speaking to you in regards to the fact that we are judged we are gauged in, in God's court not on how righteous or good or bad we are in relationship to other people My, when I stand before God that level of judgment is not going to be on how I rank to other people God's not going to say, okay, Jamie, you were better than this guy or you were better than than this person. My, the standard is not human. The standard is divine. 
God required that ultimately, in order for us to be forgiven, in order for us to be redeemed, there had to be an absolute perfect sacrifice. I I used the illustration before that if I shoot a free throw and make the first one, I'm 100%. But if I shoot a second free throw right after that and miss it, I'm now to 50%. And it doesn't matter how many free throws I make in a row, I could make a thousand or a million free throws in a row and still never be 100%. Because of that one that I missed. So God sent His Son Jesus, who never sinned, who lived that perfect life that you and I are unable to. And because He died in our place, when we receive that free gift by faith, asking Him to forgive us of our sins, recognizing His sacrifice on Calvary, and to be our Lord and Savior, at that moment He does. And God no longer sees me as Jamie the sinner. He sees me as Jamie who is covered by the blood. The atoning blood of His Son Jesus. Hebrews 9, 26 and 28 says it like this. But now once at the end of the ages, He has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. And as it is appointed for men once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. Hebrews 10, 10. By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. Once for all, Hebrews 10, 6, for by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. The Bible reminds us that Jesus was perfect, not just to show us God's standard, but to be God's standard for us. Amen. The second thing I want you to see was that he was indeed sinless. The New Testament is full of references recognizing that Jesus was sinless. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 21, the apostle says, for he made him to be sin who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. 1 John 3, 5, the beloved disciple later in the New Testament writes, And you know that He was manifested to take away our sins, and in Him there is no sin. We, are see, we see this morning an innocent man condemned. We have to be able to prove His innocence as the Gospels have, as the New Testament epistles have, and the Old Testament foreshadowed. But I want that to now get into the real strange occurrences. This sinless man being condemned. Consider this trial for just a moment, okay? He had gone to six trials before the cross. He had gone from religious leaders to the high priest. He had gone over to Herod. He had gone to Pilate. Then he had gone back to Pilate a little later. This man was on trials throughout the night. And the only factors, the only railings, the only judgment they could bring against him were few. One was that one argument was that he said, if we tear this temple down, he'll build it back in three days. That was one of the accusations. Another one of the accusations was that he says he's the son of God. One of the other accusations was he claims to be God. Wow, isn't that crazy? The only accusations they could bring against him was the fact that he said he was God and he was. There were a few that tried to lie. But they were figured out pretty quickly. Consider this for a moment. Jesus goes before two people that are notably not God-fearers. One was Herod. A man in his own right that was caught up in sin. Historically, he was known to be a very wicked man. And yet this man never condemned Jesus. He goes before Pontius Pilate, a man who worshipped many gods, the many gods that the Romans did. And he comes and he tells the people, even in our text, I find no fault in this man. 
My hands are innocent of this just man, this righteous man. Pilate himself even realized, the governor realized, that there was nothing at fault in this man. What a remarkable thing. That God would use two men who were known to be not God-fearers to say, hey, I'll pass him on. Herod just passed him on, didn't want to judge. And Pilate did judge and said, there's nothing in this man worthy of death. This innocent man goes before those two and they all say, he's innocent. He's just. Isn't it remarkable, if you think, that his condemnation came from the mob? If you, if you can imagine, and you'll see it in the, the Easter production, Pilate's porch, Pilate comes out, the mob are down there, and the mob are shouting, Give us Barabbas! Send Jesus away to be crucified! His blood be upon us and on our children! If you think about it for a moment, Jerusalem was bustling at that time. It was the Passover. People were coming in from all around. And I think about this. Those people... That mob who were so easily persuaded by the religious leaders, those few religious leaders in comparison to the mob and the population, if you think about it, that mob had nothing to base their claim of crucifixion on. The only thing Jesus ever did to those folks out in that mob were bless them. Think about that. Condemned or found innocent by two people who did not fear God. And the mob that condemned him was a mob that only had a long list of blessings in which to yell those words. And I think another interesting paradox in this story was that it was all pushed through by the religious leaders. You would think the religious elite would have had eyes keen enough and spiritual insight to be able to see indeed who he was. There was nobody on the planet outside of Jesus that would have been more well-versed, more knowledgeable over the Old Testament Scriptures and the prophecies. There would have been nobody that would have had a better keen, uh, sensitive eye to the coming Messiah than those men. And yet, their hearts were so full of envy, as even Pilate recognizes, that they push this thing through. They are the ones who planned and plotted and pushed the condemnation and the crucifixion of Jesus through. So, we've got an innocent man condemned who has been examined by sinful men, who has been condemned by a mob who's only been blessed and pushed through by religious leaders who should have known that he was indeed who he said he was. What a remarkable, remarkable event. Jesus was not just an innocent man condemned. But there is another man that shows up in the story. His name is Barabbas. There's probably nobody in all of human history that would be able to understand the gospel more clearly than Barabbas. I don't know that there is anyone who had the gospel more demonstrated to them than Barabbas. You see, Barabbas is an interesting cat. You see, Barabbas was jailed. And his accusation or his judgment was because of sedition and murder. This man was a Jewish man who did not want Rome ruling over them. So what Barabbas did was he joined the rebellion. That's what sedition is. It's rebellion. And he led this group of men or a part of this group of men as they tried to rise up and push Rome out of Jerusalem. He was a a patriot, if you will, for the Jews. He was a zealot of the day. 
And this man, in his rebellion against Rome, takes a life or maybe more, but we know of at least one. So here is this murderous rebeller. Is that a word? A murderous man who rebelled sitting in jail. And all of a sudden he hears people saying his name. And can you imagine for just a moment what that scene, what that, what that must have been like when Barabbas was led out of jail and he's saying, what am I getting let out for? Well, there's another man who took your place. Another man took my place? Friends, you won't be able to see a clearer picture really of our own release from sin, of the substitution of Jesus Christ for us than in that life of Barabbas. You know, Jesus said that murder is not just in the act of killing someone, but murder begins in the heart. Murder expresses itself out through the mouth. We think of it in the hands, but Jesus said it's a heart condition. You know, and the, if the truth be known, we may have never committed a physical murder, but spiritually we may harbor hatred and bitterness and resentment against other people. You know, I think of Barabbas as a man who was very fortunate to be in the right place at the right time. Aren't you glad, guys? Aren't you thankful that Jesus was willing not just to take Barabbas' place, but he's willing to take ours. With our adult, spiritually adulterous hearts, with all the sin that we, we commit on, on a regular basis, with the sins of commission and the sins of omission, as dirty and filthy as we are, um, as sinful people, aren't you glad to know that Jesus said, yeah, I'll take them, put them on my account. Praise God for that. An innocent man was condemned. And a guilty man was released. Isn't it odd if you think about this? That for this being the central most figure in all the world, Jesus Christ. If this crucifixion was indeed the moment in which all other scriptures were a foreshadowing of. If all other prophecies, even the law itself, was a foreshadowing of this moment in history. Wouldn't you think. Wouldn't you think that something that large, that big, on such a scale would have had people rushing to Jesus? Wouldn't you think that, just, that, that Jesus going to the cross and dying, wouldn't you think that the Gospels would be full of people saying, yeah, I believe, I understand, I see, I recognize, I receive His love, I know who He is. The odd thing, and the third part of this paradox, is that I've looked the Gospels over. And I can only find two people. Two people that responded to faith. The third point. Very few people responded to this tremendous act of love. To this tremendous sacrifice made. One of them was the criminal that was crucified with him. We don't know his name. We know that when Jesus went to Golgotha, Calvary, this, the, the, the place of the skull, we know that there were two there. And that when he was crucified, he was in the center. One was on the left and one was on the right. One railed at Jesus and wanted him to, say, wanted him to get him down from the cross. One wanted to save him from the circumstances. The other wanted to save him from sinful death. And you see, there was that one thief. That one thief who stood against the other blasphemer. And turned to Jesus and said, Lord, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus said, today, I tell you the truth. Today, you will be with me in paradise. That one hanging on the cross beside him. One hanging on the cross beside him. Recognize the gravity of the event. Recognize clearly 
who that was. Indeed, it was the dying Lamb of God, recognized him as a king. The only other guy I can find in the Gospels around this situation is the centurion. The centurion was in charge of, I believe, a hundred soldiers. And his job was to sit opposite of Jesus while he was crucified. I don't know if his job was to try to keep Jesus up there or keep people away, but either way, this man sat right at the foot of the cross, guarding and protecting And it was after Jesus gave up the ghost. Said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. The earthquake came. The veil of the temple was torn. Darkness. It was then that the Gospels record the centurion saying these words. Truly, this man was the Son of God. Out of all of the people. Out of all of the people. By providence who were at that place. Passing by on Passover. Those who witnessed this event. Sacrificial. Selfless love. These are informed people by and large. Majority of them walk by wagging their heads. A majority of them walk by shouting accusations. Majority of them walk by mocking him. But this great human event. We only find two. Let me just tell you this. I'm so excited about those two. Because really if you think about it. They're probably the most unlikely two people to believe. Two of the most unlikely people to believe. Why do I say that? One is because the one was a criminal worthy of death. Now ultimately not everybody was crucified in Rome. There were a lot. Jesus wasn't the first and he wasn't the last one to be crucified. But we know that that was a, a, that was a, a death penalty for the worst of the worst. So we know that this man who was there, we know that he was a robber, we know that he was a thief, but what we know is also that this man you would not think as being one who would initially just come to Christ, but he had that moment of clarity there beside Jesus, no doubt had heard the words. I believe he also heard Jesus say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He was able to hear what Jesus was saying. He was able to hear him praying to his father, Ali, Ali, lama sabachthani, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Nobody would have had a closer contact to Jesus than that criminal being crucified right beside him. The criminal that sat at his feet also was near. His proximity to Jesus was close. He was was so close to Jesus that he also was able to hear and experience all that had happened. And the third thing was that they were great witnesses to that sacrifice. They were able to see, hear, understand exactly what was going on in Jesus. Isn't it funny? No wonder. No wonder God. No wonder God's people. No wonder a majority of people didn't understand it. No no wonder a majority of them didn't see it coming. A righteous man condemned? Holy man condemned to death? Who would have seen that coming? Who would have seen him pass through those unrighteous folks and receive a stamp of approval of righteousness? Who would have imagined that the mob he had only spent his life blessing and and teaching the kingdom of God to? Who would have imagined that their hearts would have been the ones saying crucify him? Who would have imagined truly? Who would have imagined the religious leaders not being able to detect that he was who he said he was? A 
guilty man freed. Only a handful of people believing from that moment in recorded scripture. It's remarkable to me. You know, I need to say this before we conclude. I I believe probably that a majority of us in here are believers. And we look at the cross and that scene in our mind. And when we read it, it disturbs us. It bothers us, I'm sure. Because we see the depth that he was willing to go to save us. And I know that when I think of the cross, I'm thankful to God that he was willing to break his body and shed his blood for me. But I also have to remember that the crucifixion of Jesus was not his demonstration of the depth of love for me. It was the demonstration of the depth of his love for a lost world. You see, I see in the cross, we're just about done. I see in the cross what Jesus was willing to pay to ransom a lost world, lost people. And I think that there is a real shame, shame on me, that I try to get at a discount what Jesus paid a premium for. He gave it all. He gave all of his life. He gave everything he had for the purpose of bringing the loss to him. Paying the price. Are we willing, as believers, are we willing to give it all? You see, we think we don't we don't share the gospel sometimes because we're worried what they think of us. I don't see that demonstrated anywhere in the gospels in the life of Jesus. He was mocked harshly, was beaten tremendously. The things that we're afraid of more than likely are never going to happen. But the reality of it is we have that perfect example in Jesus Christ. He did not just show us his depth of love to save us. He showed us his depth of love to save our neighbor, to save our friend to save our enemies, to save those in countries that we can't even pronounce. So I pray that each one of us may not be the fourth paradox and be a people who know the story, but do not share it. Pray that we would tonight, that this morning, recommit our life, restructure our life in such a way so that we may only preach Christ and Him crucified. Amen. This morning, in a short amount of time, I've done my best to share with you the gospel. And if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, if you don't know where you're going to spend all eternity, if there are questions in your heart or in your mind, I believe what Hebrews says today is the day of salvation. This is the moment for you to come to Christ. You can, you can today, the Bible says that if we believe in our heart, believe in our heart and confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and that God has raised Him from the dead, we will be saved. Do you stand today in need of redemption. Do you need? Do you stand today? Are you covered in your own sins? Or are you covered in the blood of Jesus Christ? Today is the day of salvation. I'll meet you right down here. We're going to sing in just a moment. Believers, I ask you this. Is your life a demonstration of the cross? Is that sacrifice of Jesus a picture of what He has done? Not just for you, but your level of sacrifice. The, the price you're willing to pay to reach the lost? Are you willing to put aside what people think, what they say, what they may do as you share the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ? If not, let's recommit to that this morning. Let's say, God, I have been shy 
I may have even been ashamed. The apostle said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. I pray that we may also share that, that we may not turn from the cross, but that we may embrace it and use it as an example of faithfulness and evangelism, love and the depth of love. Father, I thank you this morning. I thank you for the for the price you paid. Lord, you showed us in this scripture the value that we have. I know the world tries to devalue human life. It teaches that life is not worth much. Lord, it teaches that our life is only worth something if we can do something. Lord, we never did anything worthy of salvation. We never did anything worthy of that extent of love. And Lord, you looked from the heavens and you saw our plight, you saw our situation, you saw that we were on a road headed straight to hell, and out of love for us, you came down and paid the price that we couldn't and wouldn't. And you stretched out your arms to demonstrate just how far you would go. And in doing that, you paid the price completely. Once and for all, you have paid the price. And today, Lord, I know that offer still stands as we live in the days of grace. You are still welcoming sinners to your cross. You are still welcoming them to your feet. You are still welcoming them into your kingdom if they believe and receive today. Father, burn in us. Burn that image of Calvary in our mind. Help us to see it as that example. That we would no longer have hindrances and excuses for not sharing not being Jesus to this world. Help us put those aside and repent of those and fasten our hand even stronger to the plow and get back to the work that you've left for us. With your help, we'll accomplish it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.